All right, everybody, we are going to get started here. I love, love, love that you guys take time to talk to each other. I've been in a lot of churches where everybody just stares at the stage and doesn't talk to anybody on either side of them, so I think that's really good, really valuable. Glad that, glad that I have to interrupt you every week because you guys are too busy greeting one another. That's a good thing. I mentioned this earlier in the announcements. I want to say it again to you. If you are new to True North, uh, and I don't say this apologetically, I just want to set your expectations, uh, the way we're doing our services in July is pretty different, pretty, I'd say dramatically different from what we typically do the rest of the year. Uh, and so especially if you're looking at new churches and you're interested in kind of figuring out what it is we do, I would love for you to, to at least join us once in August or September maybe and, and get a better look at how our normal service flow is or you can always catch a replay of our service on uh, on Facebook, on our live stream, on our page, anything like that, just, just know. Uh, I know for a handful of you that these services that have been targeted more at kids maybe have been simplistic or have felt like not a waste of your time, but you're just looking for something a little deeper, a little richer, just hang on. I think that with uh, the right perspective, the right stance in our hearts and our minds, there's a lot to gain from simple truths. And as you know, the Bible doesn't change, and therefore what God is teaching us is the same, generation to generation. So on that note, I believe that where we're going to go today, though very simple, has the potential to be profound for each of us and to reveal something about ourselves or about God that maybe if it's something we already knew is still a helpful reminder as we walk through uh, this journey of faith with God. Um, my very favorite way to sort of kick this kind of service off is to ask a question or to ask some questions. I like participation on these Sundays in July. So if you were here the first or second Sunday, the second or the ninth, then you know that. You know that I asked some questions and had you guys respond. Here's my first question today. Does anybody remember any of the questions that I already asked and had you guys answer altogether? Does anybody remember any of those? Noah, yeah. That is a, almost a point that I made in one of the sermons, but it's not one of the questions I asked, but I appreciate the participation. Yes, Felicity. That's right. That's good. That's two of them. And then I asked you another question. Does anybody know? Yeah. What your name was. That's right. And we tried to tie those into the Psalms. We talked about how old we are versus how old the Psalms are, how old Jesus was when he would have had to memorize all of them. And then we also talked about God's name, that God has a name just like you do, and the Psalms is one of the places that we can turn to to learn that God is personal. He's not just called God, he actually has a name which is Yahweh. So today, uh, I want to ask you another question, but we're going to change things up just a little bit. Today's question is actually going to be a game. Does anybody like games in the house? I love games. Yes, I'm sometimes competitive in a way that's not healthy. If Andy was in the room, she could tell you that the very first time she ever came over to my parents' house in East Texas to visit and get to know them, that we played a game uh, that we call Nerts. Other people call it a different, it's like you have your own deck of cards and you play solitaire back and forth. Anyway, we were so competitive, my parents and I, that we made my sweet girlfriend at the time cry. And uh, that was embarrassing for her. But we're competitive. We love to play. We play hard. She stuck with us, and we've all gotten better because of her. She's been a great influence in our family to calm down a little bit and not take the card game so seriously. So this is not a card game. This is a game we're going to play with our minds, with our ears, and with our pointing fingers. So I'm going to need help from Mr. Jim Singleton for this game. Everybody look at Jim. Jim's going to wave his hands in the air. Okay, do you see him? You see him? Yeah, yeah. Okay, very good. 
I'm going to ask Jim to pick a corner. There's four corners in the room. Jim's going to start in this corner. Can everybody point at Jim so that I know you know who Jim is and where he is? If you're playing, you don't have to play. If you want to play, good. Okay, that's great. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Here is the game. Everybody who's playing, except for Jim, he gets to keep his eyes open. Everybody else is going to close their eyes. So it would help me if you're playing, if you would go ahead and close your eyes. You don't have to play, no pressure. But if you want to, close your eyes now and keep listening to my voice. Keep, I'm going to keep talking. You're going to keep listening. We're going to communicate, okay? You're going to keep your eyes closed the entire time. No peeking. No cheating in the room. I'm, I told you I'm competitive. I don't like cheaters. No cheating, okay? I'm going to tell you in a minute when you can open your eyes, but don't do it till I say, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to play some music in a second. Not yet. When the music starts... Mr. Jim is going to move out of the corner he's in into one of the other three corners in the room, and you won't know which one it is. The music's going to play. He'll move around, move around, move around. When the music stops, he'll run to a corner. If he's not in a corner, he'll pick one. And then without opening your eyes, with your eyes still closed, I'm going to tell you to point to whichever corner you think he might be in. So it's kind of a guessing game. You might be able to listen for the squeak of his feet on the ground or I don't know, but don't cheat, moms and dads. This is not a great time to help your kid. Let them play, okay? Let them, let them get it right or wrong on their own. With your eyes closed, does anybody have any questions? Slip your hand up if you think you have a question about how this is going to work. Okay, seeing no questions, let's start the music. Okay, so you're not looking. Mr. Jim's moving. Moving, he's moving. Where's he going to go? We don't know. Is he right behind you? Is he right in front of you? Is he next to you? No way to know. Still moving. Okay, music stopped. Don't open your eyes. Now, using one of your hands, point to the corner with your eyes still closed where you think he might be. Point where you think he might be. Okay, make sure your point is big and loud and proud. Very interesting. Okay, you guys can open your eyes and look and see where he is. Did you get it right? Oh, he's in the back by the cry room. That's right. Casey got it. I see you, Casey. That's right. You're one for one, buddy. Let's keep the streak going. Okay. All right. Very good. So now we know how it's going to work. We're going to do it a couple more times. Everybody close your eyes again. Close your eyes again. Okay. When the music starts, Mr. Jim's going to move, and then I'll tell you what to do. Point to the corner where you think he might be. Tricky, tricky. Okay, you can look. He's right there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A little bit better, a little bit better. Okay, last time. We're going to do it one more time. One more time. Close your eyes and get ready when the music starts. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. I know, it's exciting. It's for all the marbles here. Don't peek, don't peek. He's on the move. Don't peek. He's on the move. Don't peek. Point to the corner you think he might be in. Where is he? Where is he hiding? You can look. Oh, yeah, Ed got him that time. I see it, Jess. Nice, Jess. Very good, very good. Okay, let's clap for Mr. Jim. He helped us so much. That's right. Very good, very good. Thank you much. Thank you much. So I have a question for you guys. Somebody who got it right one of the times, somebody who got it right one of the times, how did you get it right? How did you know? Yes, Alton. You heard his feet. Okay, that's good. Felicity?
Okay, process of elimination, very nice. You didn't think he would go back to his starting corner, so that was the only one logically left, that's good. Okay, but did you guys know for sure, or were you mostly guessing? We were guessing, right? Weren't we mostly, we were just kind of hoping and guessing, even with a pattern in play, we didn't know for sure, as long as we didn't cheat. Here's my question for you, before we go to the psalm today. Do you ever feel that way about God? Do you ever feel like people tell you he's real, people tell you he's close by, but it just kind of feels like you're guessing about where he is or what he's doing. Maybe even when you pray, maybe you pray before you eat or you pray in the morning or you pray before bed. Maybe sometimes even with your eyes closed, it just feels like those prayers are guesses. I can tell you something. I work for a church and I still feel that way sometimes. So you're not crazy and that's not silly. The psalm we're gonna look at today is gonna help us answer the question, how can we know where God is? How can we know if God is listening to our prayers. So just like we've done every other week, we're going to read part of the psalm together. We're going to read from Psalm chapter 80, verses 7 through 11. It's only two slides. It'll be quick. We're going to read it all together on the screens. Here we go. Let's do it. O God of heaven's armies, restore us. Smile on us. Then we will be delivered. You uprooted a vine from Egypt You drove out nations and transplanted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow, the highest cedars by its branches. Its branches reached the Mediterranean Sea and its shoots the Euphrates River. Good job. Thank you for your help with that. This psalm is a song, like every other psalm that we've talked about. I know we don't use the word psalm a lot unless we're at church. It's tricky because it sounds like it starts with S, but it actually starts with P, and I can't really tell you how that works or why that happened. It's just the way it is. But when we read them, sometimes they don't seem much like a song. Sometimes they seem kind of like the sort of thing that would be scratched into like a tombstone or that Indiana Jones might find written on the inside of a cave wall, right? They're kind of cryptic. They're a little hard to understand. Are they a map to a treasure? Are they a story about a bad day? Are they asking God for something? This psalm talks about some places that most of us haven't been. This psalm is a little bit like a map. It talks about Egypt. I bet most of us haven't been to Egypt. It talks about the Mediterranean Sea. Some of us might have been to the Mediterranean Sea. It talks about the Euphrates River, which is the largest river in the part of the world where this song was written. Here's what you need to know. This song was written by a guy named Asaph, or Asaph, you could say, but we kind of like the long A in English, so we'll call him Asaph. Asaph is writing about places that are in his neighborhood. Just like if you wrote a song today, if I said to you, go home and write three lines of a new song, you might write about your dog, your sister, your bedroom, the park nearby, Chuck E. Cheese, whatever your favorite things are that are around you, that's what this guy's doing. So in a way, you can kind of ignore the Mediterranean Sea and Egypt and the Euphrates River, but also it should tell you that this guy who wrote this song knows what he's talking about. He's writing about something that's happened to him, something that happened to his family that God did that he needed God to do. This song is set in Asaph's neighborhood. So what I want to do for you today is I want to share with you three questions that this psalm is going to answer. Three questions. The first question is, how, excuse me, the first question is, yeah, how do I get a better life? Right, we've talked about for a couple of weeks now. Life with God, life without God. This psalm is for people who maybe have chosen life without God, who are saying, I don't like this, it isn't working for me, where do I go from here? 
The second question the psalm will answer is, how do I know if God is listening? Remember Mr. Jim moving around in the corners? We didn't know where he was. We were guessing this psalm is going to help us know. How can we tell where God is? How can we tell what God is doing? And finally, the third question is, why trust while I wait? We know that God is going to make us wait sometimes. We sang a song about that this morning from Psalm 130, 50 psalms later from this one. But why should we trust? Why not panic while we wait? Why not freak out while we wait? Why not try as much as we can to do everything in our power to fix all our problems while we wait? Well, the psalmist Asaph is going to give us an answer to that question that's going to help us. So here we go. Question one, how do I get a better life? Look back at verse seven if you have a Bible open today. If you don't, I'll read verse seven to you. O God of heaven's armies, restore us, that's the first half, smile on us, and then we will be delivered. Asaph is asking God to do something. Have you ever asked God to do something? Anybody? Can you raise your hand? Grown-ups, kids, right? Probably you wouldn't be at church if you've never asked God to do anything in your life. I ask God to do stuff all the time. Sometimes he does it. When I was a kid, one of the things that was true in my house, and maybe this is true about your house, you don't need to say yes or no because it might embarrass your mom and dad, but at my house... My mom and dad had a lot of loud arguments, and they never yelled and screamed at me, and they were very careful. They didn't hurt each other or hit each other with their hands, but when they were upset, they would get louder and louder and louder, and down the hall in my bedroom, even with the door closed, even with music playing in my room, I could still hear the arguments that they would have, and I didn't like that. I didn't want them to have those kinds of arguments. It was upsetting to me. I was an only child, so I was kind of stuck in my room with my thoughts about all of that, and it was hard for me. One of the prayers I used to pray a lot when I started praying, when I became a Christian when I was seven years old, is I would pray and ask God to give us back the peace that we had before the argument. I would say to God, just like Asaph said, restore us. We lost it. We had the peace and we lost it. We got mad. Uh, somebody hurt somebody's feelings. The other person got upset because they were upset. And now we're off to the races. The argument had begun. God, bring us back to a place where we can have the kind of peace that we've lost before. Asaph is praying that prayer for his people. He's asking God to give his family back peace that they used to have. He's looking around himself, like you sometimes do, and he's noticing stuff, like you sometimes do, and he's thinking to himself, this life isn't good anymore. So he's asking God, please, would you give me a better life? And in that way, he teaches us that if we want a better life, the very first step, the answer to the first question is to start by asking God to take care of you. If you ask your mom and dad to fix all your problems, they might try, but they can't do it. If you ask your own self to fix all your problems, you can try, but you can't do it. You can ask a coach, you can ask a teacher, you can ask a police officer or a firefighter or somebody who goes out of their way to love you, another guardian in your life, but at some point, you'll have a problem that they won't be able to fix. And Asaph says, take those problems to God. Pray to him, as simple as God, I liked how things were before, and now it seems like they've gotten worse, and I don't know what to do about it. Would you please take care of me, and would you please help me? Asaph knows that he can't make his family's life better just by him trying harder. He does know that good choices have good consequences, and bad choices have bad consequences. But fixing the kinds of problems that Asaph and his family are having, good choices aren't going to solve those problems. Only God can change the hearts of people, the place where they make their choices out of, and so Asaph is asking God to do that. If we want a better life, we should take his advice and we should ask God to restore us, to restore our family, to restore our people. Second question, how do I know if God is listening? Now, I like this question because this is what I think of as soon as somebody tells me that I need to ask God for help. 
If I have a problem and you say to me, well, the psalm says you should take that problem to God, I might say, that's great, but what happens if I don't want to do that? What if I'm not sure God is there? What if I don't know if he's listening? What if I'm not really, I don't have a lot of faith inside of me that he's going to do anything about my problem? What if I can't really tell if he's listening anyway, so maybe praying for me feels embarrassing or it feels a little bit silly? Sometimes we feel that way, especially as kids when we're new to prayer. We're not sure if anybody's out there really picking up the phone on the other end or not. Asaph tells us how we can know if God is listening. Look at the second half of verse 7. Asaph says, O God, smile on us, and then we will be delivered. Now, this is a little bit tricky, but here's how it works. God smiling doesn't necessarily literally mean if you look up in the sky, there's going to be a floating version of God's face. I think of the weird baby in the sun in Teletubbies. Do you guys ever been forced to watch Teletubbies in your life? Don't. If you haven't seen it, it's not worth your time. Don't do it. But it used to play like in the dentist office when I was a kid a lot, and I have bad teeth, so I saw a lot of Teletubbies. So the, it's not that way. It's not that we look up in the sky and there's this smiling, grinning face of God. That might be kind of weird and we might not like it. What Asaph is saying, he's using the word smile to talk about God's love. He's saying God is loving to us. He's saying to God, God, if you would show us love, if you would show us care, then we would know that you are delivering us. Then we would be able to know where you are in the room, which corner it is that you're in. Just like, imagine, if as Mr. Jim was running from corner to corner, maybe he was handing some people a piece of candy. Well, if we had all those people raise their candy up in the air and wave it, we could probably see a path through the room that Mr. Jim took, right? We might not know for sure exactly where he was at any given time, but the evidence of him being there would tell us that he was there. That's how God works. We ask and we listen and we see how God has worked in other people's lives and we kind of get this little dot, 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 dot path of where God is moving and what he's doing. Asaph calls that God's smile. I refer to it as God's love or God's care. And the point is this. If we don't know whether or not God is listening, we should ask ourselves, do I think God even loves me? Have I seen any evidence that God cares for me? And if I do, if he loves me, if he cares for me, then I can know that he's listening when I pray. Okay, last question is this. Why should I trust while I wait? Well, wait on what? That's the question that comes to my mind when I see that. Let's say you have a problem. You guys don't ever have any problems, right? So this is hypothetical. Let's just say you have a problem. You're feeling angry and you want to hurt the person who made you mad. You want to kick them in their leg or you want to pinch that part of their arm that really hurts, right? Or you want to twist their, you know, I was a kid once. So somebody makes you mad and you want to hurt them right away. Just, oh, you feel that anger come up in you like a volcano and you just want to hit them or pinch them or kick them. Or maybe you've been lying. You guys don't ever lie, right? But let's just say you did. If you were to lie and then someone caught you in the lie and you told another lie to cover up the lie and then you told another lie to cover up that lie, a lie is kind of like a big giant sandwich. It just gets bigger and bigger with more and more layers until finally it just falls over and crushes you. <laughs> not a good thing. But maybe you've been lying and you've been covering it up and you're not sure what to do. How do you stop lying? How do you just say the truth and face the consequences? Or maybe something happened to you in front of your friends and now you feel embarrassed or now you just can't stop thinking about it. You lay in your bed or you're brushing your teeth at night and you just keep replaying that embarrassing moment over and over in your head like a movie. The good news is if you're a kid, grown-ups feel this way too. They can also picture what it is I'm talking about. But you have a problem and then somebody says, you gotta fix this problem. You can't keep living like this. This isn't gonna work for you. What do you do? Well, Asaph told us, you start by asking God to take care of the problem, to fix it for you. Then once you ask, you look around for dot, 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 evidence, the path that God has taken in your life to show you that he's working. And then finally, 
while you wait for God, while you're waiting on that dot, 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 dot to get all the way to its destination, the big X on the treasure map of your life, you wait, and while you're waiting, you can do one of a couple things. You can have peace and calm in your heart, even if your problem doesn't go right away right away when you pray. Usually when we pray, we say, God, I have this problem, and as soon as I'm done praying, I want it to be gone. I want you to wave your wand or cast your spell and make it so that it never happened. And that's almost never how God works. Normally the way God works is he says, great, he sticks his hand out to you, and he says, come on, let's go. Let's go take responsibility. Let's go tell the truth for the first time in a while. Let's be honest about how we feel, what we think, and what we've done, and there's mercy for you, and I'll keep you safe, but you get to walk back through this path of responsibility in your life. As we do that, while we do it, Asaph's song tells us a story about something that happened a long, long time ago that proves to us that God is good and that he does good things for us. You remember when he talked about Egypt, when he talked about the Mediterranean Sea, when he said something about a vine being ripped up and replanted by the Euphrates River? Here's what he's talking about. Have any of you ever heard of a book in the Bible called Genesis? You know about Genesis? Yeah, that's good. What about Exodus? You ever heard of Exodus before? Those two books put together is the story that Asaph is talking to us about. That God grabbed a guy named Moses and all of his family members, which were several million people by the time the story of the Exodus happens, and he ripped them up out of the ground, and he moved them over, and he planted them in a place where they could flourish, where they could grow and have a good life. And so what Asaph is trying to tell you and me is that long, long ago, God started a brand new family that grew into a whole big new country. He named those people Israel, and they grew so big that the psalm tells us they stretched out over mountains. Has your family, you ever have so many people in your family that you would cover a mountainside? I don't. I don't think so. They stretched all the way from the Mediterranean Sea, which is far west as Asaph had ever gone, all the way to the Euphrates River, which was as far east as Asaph had ever gone. This would be like you writing a song and saying, God, you made my family so big that we covered all of Anchorage. We went as far north as Wasilla, as far south as Girdwood, and we went east and west up into the Chugach and all the way to the edge of the inlet. We covered all, every square inch was covered in Coleman's, in my case, or whatever your last name would be. That would be wild for God to do that, especially if you started with just one person. Asaph's telling us that's a real story. It's a true story. If you're a Christian, it's part of your story because you're a part of that same people, God's people. So when all else fails and it seems like nothing is going right in your life and you found the problem and you gave it to God and now you're waiting and you're not sure whether you should believe or not, Asaph is saying the Bible is a firm foundation for your life. The writing and the teaching of God, you can rely on, you can lean into, you can remember what God has done so that you can wait with faith and trust while God answers the prayer that you have. The answer to the last question, why trust while I wait, is you should trust while you wait because God won't fail you. And therefore, you don't need a plan B with God. You don't have to get ready for something worse to happen to you because God will rescue you. Now, here's the kicker. Believing all of this, it takes faith. And maybe faith is something you don't have a lot of. The Bible tells us faith is actually a gift from God, and if we need more, he'll give it. So I want to finish this morning by praying with you and for you, especially parents and guardians for our kids, that God would give the gift of faith and that these young men and women would become the kind of people who don't just believe these truths but know them in their heart of hearts and that they function as a foundation and bedrock for their life. So let's pray that together. Father, thank you for the chance to come to your word this morning. Thank you for the great truths of your Bible and this beautiful song by the psalmist Asaph, God, written to remind us that you're nearby, that we can see you and sense you when you're at work. And Father, that when we can't do those things, when we're struggling to know that you're here and that you're near us, that we can lean on the truth of your word in scripture to remind us and to grow our faith. 
I pray, God, for faithful parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, mothers and fathers who all collectively play the role of guardian in these kids' lives. I pray, God, that your word would fall, like you said, Jesus and Mark, on fertile ground, on hearts that are open to the truth, that the seed would plant deep roots, not just spring up quickly and wither in the sun, not fall on the rocks, not be choked out by thorns, but that it would put roots down and that it would be the point of nourishment in the lives of these children. We love you, God, and we trust you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.